the financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast. Uh, A quick show note, the other Paul is not available this week, so this Paul is flying solo. Um, Today, we'd like to welcome to the podcast Joe Casey. We will talk to Joe about his book, Win the Retirement Game, How to Outsmart the Nine Forces Trying to Steal Your Joy. Uh, Joe is an executive coach, managing partner of Retirement Wisdom, and host of the Retirement Wisdom podcast, uh, inspiring people to create meaningful lives in retirement. Before he designed his own second career as a uh, catalyst for positive change and growth, Casey worked for 26 years at Merrill Lynch as an SVP, Senior Vice President, Head of HR for Global Markets and Investment Banking. Joe's new book, Win the Retirement Game, just like we talked about, uh, he presents a proactive and refreshing guide to how you bring your whole brain to retirement and outsmart nine obstacles people face when they retire. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. Great Great to have the chance to talk with you. Yeah, this is great. And just to kind of let the audience know a little pre-banter, uh, I was at Merrill Lynch at the same time as as Joe was, which was amazing. And our LinkedIn had some very common friends uh, that we both worked with. And so it was very cool to have someone on the podcast who was uh, from Merrill, from those days of Merrill, uh, before um, all the craziness of 2008 and everything else. And it merged with Bank of America, which wasn't bad, but uh, I remember going to Merrill, and, and it was it was always a great company. It's still a great company. Um, I don't want, I'm not trying to plug companies here, Joe, but you can relate to what I'm talking about. It was just a, a very interesting time when we were both at Merrill. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Sure. So, I am a former, or though some would say, recovered HR person, as as you mentioned in the intro. And the reason I became an executive coach is in the year 2000, I had an executive coach. I had one for a year because I must have been a hard case in retrospect. Uh, it took a year. But it made me curious about, boy, what, what changed? It was very important for me as a leader. It helped me uh, really step up and, and take broad responsibility and had a big impact on the team I led and the organizations that I support. There's a ripple effect. And so I knew what I wanted to do after HR. And when we were acquired, I was 52, and I thought at the time, I know I wanted to go into coaching. I thought it'd be maybe around 55, 56, somewhere around there. And I thought, why not now? So I went back to school and really wanted to get a good grounding in, in what coaching was about because I learned that it's not something that you wing. You really need to be trained in it. And started off building my own business uh, in 2009. Halfway through, about seven, six years uh, into it, I had a client. I was hired to coach a, a successor to a CEO of an asset management firm. And halfway through, he said, I've decided I don't want to be him. He was 52. I want to retire at 55 was his goal. And he ended up doing that. And that made me curious about uh, how people can design a second act and retire early and have a second life. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I actually went back to school, did a third master's degree at USC in gerontology to understand the the aging process and the life force so I could be better informed in, in helping clients. And so I do both things now. I work with companies on their leaders and I work with individuals looking to design a new life. That is amazing. Uh, I love this. I, I think there's another topic here. We'd love to have you back at some point to talk about second career um, or second. Yeah. Second career. Um, that's one of the things that is a big hot button topic on. I'm sure we'll dive in today is, 
is the definition of retirement. Maybe I'll kind of start there. At this point, you know, retirement used to be the traditional, you get your pension, you go off into the sunset, you play a lot of golf or knit or whatever it is that you love to do. Um, but then I hear anecdotal stories of, of people that try it, they do it for three months and they hate it, or, or quite frankly, they get depressed and it goes the other way and they just don't last very long because they're not feeling as productive as they did when they were working. So I'm going to kind of throw an oddball question at you. What is your definition of retirement at this point? And then we'll kind of jump into some of the other questions that we have. Sure. So the one I like, I got from one of our podcast guests and she defined it as the period of time after you leave the world of full-time work. And I think that captures it well because people are living longer these days. And a lot of what we have surrounding retirement was designed when retirements lasted about eight years. Now they last decades. And a lot of people talk about designing their next chapter. I had one of my clients yesterday, a CEO, who had a great line and, and it just came up organically. He said, I'm giving up on writing my next chapter because at this phase, I think I need to write a whole new book. And I think that captures it because it's, it's this whole expanse of time. How are you going to invest it? It's a lot of hours, a lot of years that most people are going to spend in retirement. How do you want to use that time? And it's probably not all kick back, relax, play golf, Netflix, and chill. There's other pieces to it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love that definition, and, and it's well said. I, I think one of the things that you, you talk about um, in, you know, in the book is you know, these nine common challenges of retirement. Um, so, so what are those nine common challenges for our audience of retirement, and what are the tools on how to navigate them and thrive? Sure. So I'll, I'll run through them in like three groups of, of, of three. The first one's come up pretty early, and the first one is boredom. People are actually, especially my male clients, afraid of being bored. They come off dynamic careers and they think, boy, what's it going to be like when I'm actually not having all of this that I have in my day-to-day -day life today? And they're really worried about that. Second one is the status quo, meaning just keeping things the same as opposed to going out there and taking control change and doing something new. Third one is connectivity, loneliness. And that's really about a lot of people's connections, especially my male clients, are tied to work in some way. And so all of a sudden people find that they have to find their new tribe. Next group that people come up against is inertia. And I learned this from one of my coaching mentors, Marshall Goldsmith, who brought this up in a conversation uh, one day in 2009. Uh, and it's really that you have to really push against the forces of inertia that gets guests to just kind of stay in one place. And this comes up a lot in retirement when people kick back, take a break, recharge, and everyone deserves that. But if you don't break out of it, that becomes the norm, new norm. And, and that can be very unsatisfying for a lot of people. Next one is expectations. And it's not only your own expectations about your life in retirement, but other people's expectations. You don't want necessarily your neighbor's retirement, your parents' retirement, the person down the street, your colleague, et cetera. What's it gonna be for you? And then no shortage of this next one these days, uncertainty. How do you plan? your next phase when everything around us is less clear. And then the third group, and think of these are almost like a hierarchy. So now we're into like the championship round here. Complacency. You don't stop growing when you retire. And so if you just stay with, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm happy, uh, you can lead, it can lead to a lot of negative outcomes. Next one is obligations. We have a lot of things that, that we were obligated to do, but sometimes 
those obligations are magnified in our own minds. You're going to test against them, sometimes renegotiate some of them, look at some of those alternatives. And then finally, and this is the big one, you get a lot of things from work besides the paycheck, and one of them is purpose. What's that new purpose going to be after you retire? And I find most of my clients end up building a multi-purpose retirement, not a, a purpose that you uh, would have to go off to a, a three-month retreat, retreat in, the, in the mountains to find, but just by getting engaged in some new things, sometimes new purposes emerge. So those are the, those are the nine, and they surprise people. They're based on what I've seen over the last seven years my clients face. No one faces all nine. There's usually three or four that they come up against, but they really can get in the way, and knowing that they're coming can be really helpful. Yeah, the that's- The tools part- Yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And the tools are really the opposites. Think of these as kind of battles. They're, they're, it's kind of like a, a tournament. Uh, for boredom, just as an example, the, the anecdote to, to, to boredom is, is curiosity. Being curious about things, looking, being open to new things, and getting involved in that. Uh, the solution to loneliness is really developing new connections. And on inertia, it's really unleashing your own creativity. No, that's great. And I, I apologize. I was interrupting because there were so many things in there that I wanted to kind of talk to you about and ask you about. Like one of them, anecdotally, you mentioned at the beginning was around this identity and purpose and, and you know, for and you kind of tailored it to um, the, the male clients, especially. Uh, but I, I could say that anecdotally, I've met both male and female where they're they are so focused on their work. It is their life. Right. And, and it's not a bad thing. I ever, then you, and you kind of, you know, come back to that where everyone's life is custom tailored. It's not your neighbor. It's not your friend. It's you. Right. So, but anecdotally, I, I, I have conversations with people that have been with companies, especially people who've been with their company a very long time. You know, I'm saying, you know, 15, 20 years, 40 years. Um, I think I read a story where uh, there was a financial advisor that passed away and he, in Chicago recently, and he, and he used to go back and forth on the train every day, even through COVID, and he passed away at 88. But he was still servicing his customers, right? Which is very, very interesting um, on how that all works. And and I love the fact that you talk about the, the the being this custom tailored, right? Like retirement and that focus has to be for you and positioned for yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to be, you know, happy you're not going to be successful and it's that looking at others which i think sometimes hurts as well and i think in this culture of facebook and social media and everyone being able to see deeply into everyone's you know success strip on social media it's very hard to combat that stuff and do you see social media in the last 20 years kind of impacting people's happiness and and retirement and and their mindset a little bit Yes, yeah, so a lot of this really has been proved, proved out by research that it, it focuses people on unrealistic expectations because what you see on, on Facebook is not the behind-the-scenes reality. And your point, too, about the, the identity piece, we tend to conflate what we do with who we are. And when you enter retirement, you leave that behind, you realize those are just things you did, and you were all in necessarily, for most people, in, on work. But it really isn't who you are, and you've got to kind of rediscover that in some ways. And it often happens with the moment when you're at some social gathering, barbecue, etc. Uh, I don't go to cocktail hours. I'm more of a backyard barbecue guy. Uh, and someone says, so, you meet someone new, a new neighbor. What do you do? And you're like, uh, <laughs> hold on. But people, as they develop these new lives, actually have 
a lot of things. They talk more in the present tense. I'm doing this. I'm involved in this. These are things I'm engaged in as opposed to I used to be. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and you mentioned something else. You mentioned that you, you quote unquote, retired from your, you know, from yes. from from Merrill uh, in, in the fifties. I have a number of friends that keep telling me that they plan on retiring in their mid fifties, and and I'm scratching my head because I always had a target of sixty two in my mind of what that retirement age would look like. Um, minimally, I always kind of, that was always the way my brain functioned. As soon as I'm eligible for social security, I'm taking it and, and going for it. And, and that was always my mindset. But now as I talk to more and more people about retirement, especially, I think you kind of put a light bulb moment for me today is, you know, my retirement could be from a job, let's say, I'm not saying I would, but I, I do like what I'm doing now. So I want to continue it. But it is interesting that really retirement is that optionality, like you said, to do something else and not have to do what you're doing necessarily today, which I kind of like that whole thing. But your view on retirement age, and you know, there's another kind of um, oddball question is, what do you see, when is an optimal age for people to retire? Or is it really tailored to the individual, like you said before? So it's tailored to the individual. And, and, and let's be clear, you have to have the money right. You've got to do the planning on that side of the equation. But you have to make sure that your money isn't better prepared for retirement than you are. And I think there's an old school concept that sometimes doesn't come back enough, and that's semi-retirement, because that's an option. It doesn't have to be this all or nothing thing. All work and then nothing. It can be all work going to a transition where you do some work. It may be something different. It may be redeploying your skills in a new way. It could be the same thing you do on a part-time basis or consulting basis. Because the big thing that people, as they hit their 50s and 60s, want, it's actually the same thing people in their 30s would love, flexibility. And once you get to that place financially where, you, where really work becomes more optional, you can really grasp that flexibility and do a combination of things. And work doesn't have to be out of the picture. It can be in there in, in a new way on your own terms. Yeah, that's great. And and I think that tails nicely into my next question is, what is your advice for people to discover new passions and cultivate that creativity and conquer retirement boredom from the beginning? I think it's being open to trying new things. And that's something, again, that I talked about those, those challenges I see. Sometimes we get set in our ways. And it's not age-related. It's just because we do the same things over and over again. And you kind of get in this groove. And then all of a sudden, when you get this flexibility, you've got to really be more open to doing, doing new things. So I think it's trying new things, having an experimental mindset. The coaching I do helps people look at uh, three alternative paths and then talking to people who have done something like that to find out more about it. And then getting involved on a pilot basis without jumping in with both feet. One mistake people make sometimes is going all in on something. They haven't really done their full due diligence of that. And then it's awkward to try to back out of it. So be open something new, but be willing to test the waters, put your toe in, uh, even before you quote unquote retire, getting involved in some things just to see what's it really like and talking to other people goes a long way. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I, what comes to mind when you, that's, that's great advice. And one of the things that comes to mind is if you're looking to do something new or try something new, um, some of those avenues to try to test the waters might be, you know, internship, dare I say. Uh, volunteerism. Um, I could say anecdotally, um, I, I do have a passion for uh, marketing, and I've always kind of had that kind of ear and eye for marketing. So 
I work with a non-for-profit and when they were setting up committees to talk about, um, you know, to, to help with a particular event, I wound up signing up with a buddy of mine for the kind of marketing and communications committee, right? And, and this is a true story. Um, I had knew nothing about social media marketing or any of these types of concepts. And, and the first person I called was, was, was Jody, who was our original host, co-host with me. Um, and uh, we went for lunch and we sat for two hours and he just brain dumped to me all these different things. And it just started, you know, being active and listening and, and, and taking notes and, and implementing some of the things and most of the things, or I should say all the things he said. And, and it was able to do it freely without the threat of being fired because it was a volunteer gig. So, you know, in addition to volunteerism or to uh, internships, what are your thoughts on that? And are there any other options to, to find out what those passions might be? Sure. So it's this process of talking to other people is a really good one, meaning you may have an interest, in, but sometimes it's something you used to be interested in. But as you get involved in the full-time work world and running hard and kids and family and all the other things that we get involved in, what were some of the things you could have done or wish you could have done or would have done if times were different? Can you explore those? And you start really by conversations, not about you, but about them. And this is the key part, counterintuitive. What's it like to be in marketing, for example? Uh, How did you get into it? What's challenging about it? What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? And then the second piece is looking at your core skill set and your strengths, what you love to do and what you're good at doing. What ways could you redeploy it in a new direction? Just talking yesterday with a former client of mine, a doctor who had a heart attack at 55. Uh, he grew up in, in the Midwest, so a lot of, of red meat uh, early years. And he pivoted in retire, retiring in his late 50s to using his skill set because he changed his lifestyle. He went and got retrained in lifestyle medicine, and he's now becoming a coach. He and his wife actually went through his training program that came out of our work together on wellness coaching, where he's going to help people change their diet, change these lifestyle factors that are going to really improve their health. Uh, he actually was the only client I've ever had who, who gave me homework because I always give people homework in between. And he said to me one time, Here's your homework. You need to watch this movie. It's called Game Changers. And it was about vegan, vegan and vegetarian athletes. Uh, I was a marathon runner uh, until I got injured in 2016. And uh, I said, well, I don't know. I've, I eat healthy, but I don't know if I can give up chicken or fish. Well, seeing this video uh, changed everything for me. And I, I, I've, I haven't had a, any, anything except veg, veg, vegetarian stuff since, since that day uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, but he's he's a good example where he's taking his skill set, his training, and his personal experience and doing something to help others. And helping other part comes in, I think, as an important thing for many people as they get older. Yeah, I could see that, right? I could see that whole – and that kind of goes back to volunteerism and, and, and helping others. I could see how that could really give people significant purpose um, and, and, and something that uh, hopefully um, you know people could, could embrace – Right. And I, we see it a lot. Right. So I think that's cool. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, you mentioned um, the, the whole concept um, in your in your book around serious leisure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what serious leisure is and why is it critical in retirement? 
So I discovered this in doing the research for the book. I have a lot of research in the book, uh, as well as my client experiences. But it was something, as soon as I heard that phrase, I said, what the heck is that? Uh, although I realized later I had been doing it without realizing it. But there's an uh, academic in Canada by the name of Robert Stebbins. He's in his 80s now, who has really studied this for decades. And it's basically some type of pursuit that's not passive. It's very active. So something you're really into. And it's not really, it can be like a hobby, but taken to the next level. He just, he defines it as something where it's substantial, it's interesting, people find it fulfilling, and it takes some dedication. You've got to have some skills. You've got to hone those skills. You have to have some deep knowledge and expertise over time. So, you know, it's something you need to master. Think of art, uh, sports, science type things, writing, uh, could be all kinds of things that you're interested in, but it's being serious about it that you're working at it. For me, it was running. I, I wanted to run a marathon, did that, wanted to then qualify for my hometown Boston Marathon, which I ultimately did and broke my left hip with a half mile to go. Uh, whole oh nother story. <laughs> After 12, it took, it took me 12 races to qualify, but I finally did. And uh, But but his, his example is a good one that it's something that gives people a lot of satisfaction because they're really into it. So they've got the enjoyment, but they, it's also something that they, they work at in a, in a fun way. And there's tons of examples of it, but he makes a distinction between that and things we do just for fun. They tend to be more passive. It comes and goes. Uh, these are things, and they include volunteer activities that you really develop a commitment to. Yeah, I, I could see that. And, and, it's, and congrats well, on, on the marathon running. It's, it's a shame. We'll have to get into that story at some point. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to yeah. divert it. So what did happen? That sounds horrible. So you were very close to finishing that marathon, and it just. I, I uh, had this goal. I went after it, and then I took my time down as far as I could, and I realized, boy, you know, I don't know if I can get it any faster. I was getting close. And I hired a coach, a running coach, who knew this existed. I said, I'm a coach. I know the value of coaching. And he changed two things in my training, made all the difference. And a month before the, the marathon in 2014, uh, Philadelphia Marathon I qualified in, I felt this twinge. I was running a 20-mile race uh, before I was stretching. And I said, I've never felt that before. Turned into a, a major injury. I was fine on race day. Had my best day ever. Uh, a little bit after, I had to go to a specialist in New York who specializes in this particular industry injury. Rehabbed it. Came back uh, two weeks before the Boston Marathon, felt something totally different. Uh, by the time I got up to Boston, <laughs> three days before the race, I, I, could, I, couldn't, I could barely run. Uh, by the time I got to race day, I felt fine. So, okay, I'm just going to run conservatively. I'm not going to try to beat my goal time, et cetera. Made it all the way, felt fine for the first 16 miles. Started to have difficulty. Not being the most uh, astute person about this, I kept going. That's kind of the mindset. And I got into half mile to go and, and couldn't take another step. I broke my left hip stress fracture, had a great uh, set of helpers. They wheeled me into a wheelchair into this uh, uh, th medical tent. They BU, Boston University trainers, guys in their 20s said, we can get you back out there. That's all I need to hear. Great. Do whatever you need to do. They're working on me. This doctor comes in and she said to them, why do you think it's a soft tissue injury? And I said, well, I've never had a stress fracture, but I imagine this is what it feels like. So she was great. She got me the head of, uh, found my family, got the head of the orthopedic trauma surgery to do the surgery next morning, uh, came to visit me every day in the hospital for a week, got me a finishers medal, went to the head of the marathon and got me a finishers medal, which is really great, which sent me on Father's Day. And 
I'm able to run. Uh, I, I run now in a, a machine called the Zero Run, a great piece of equipment. It mimics the running motion. And so I've kept, kept at it and still, uh, during COVID, ran virtual races. Uh, but uh, it, was, it was a great experience and oh, I, I learned a lot from it. No, that's amazing. And, and thank you for sharing that story. I mean, there's so many things in the podcast today uh, and these references to the, the vegan video and, and the, the, the I want to get your pick your brain on that running machine. <laughs> I know it's off topic. That's very interesting. Um, but I, I kind of want to tie it back to um, which kind of jumped into my head, the serious leisure. We talk about why. Um, one yes. of the techniques I've always heard is 10,000 hours. Now, I'm a horrible golfer, golfer. Everyone who knows who golfs with me, they really don't want to golf with me. But they, they take pity on me and they let me golf with them anyway. I always get the most honest golfer award when I <laughs> go to a tournament because my scores are that bad. But I do love to play, and and that's one of the things. I'm not quite sure if that's my serious leisure activity. Um, and, and the way you put it, I have to kind of rethink it. But if I if I wanted to make that my serious leisure activity, I, I've heard terms like 10,000 hours. To be good at anything, whether it's podcasting or running or golfing, you have to put those 10,000 hours in. But are there any techniques that you recommend to for people to say, I think I love this 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 thing it's my serious leisure focus what are those techniques to really become as successful at it as possible so that the 10,000 hours malcolm gladwell had popularized it but it was based on uh, work research florida state professor k anders erickson who recently passed not too long ago passed away but but he was talking about like ultimate high performance uh so if, if you're thinking about things things to do. I think it's really about getting clear about why you like it and then talking to other people again. I, I keep coming back to that, but, but getting involved perhaps in a group. Here's why that would be good. You're going to get multiple benefits. You're going to learn, you're going to accelerate your learning by hanging around with other people who are good or, or better at the particular thing than you are. And you're going to get that social connectivity to avoid that, that loneliness factor that comes into play uh, later, later in retirement. So talk to other people, get involved in maybe a, a group, not only play golf, I'm not a golfer, but not only playing with others, but you know, look at, look at talking to people who are better than you and see what they do. Uh, and, but it's going to be fun, uh, in my opinion. It's going to be something you really enjoy, that you have some passion for, that you also see a curve where you can get better. Uh, so that, I think that's the key. But, but just get the group, get, if you can do something you love, and part of what you do is with the group. Can, that oh, that's really, great. Really great advice. And I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, hiring a retirement coach, which I, I think is an incredible concept. And I think this is, you hear about all types of different coaching out there. I, I think this might've been the first time I've heard the term retirement coach, which I think is, is wonderful. And, and what are some of those reasons to hire a retirement coach? And, and what are the, some of those, those red flags that you should never ignore as you're interviewing a retirement coach. Sure. No, great, great thing. So number one, uh, the reason to do it is uh, a re good retirement coach can help you get to where you want to get to faster. And here's why that's important. At a certain point, you'll know how much money you have and you can do the math. And that's a, that left brain part of the equation. But the right brain side of it is you don't really know how much time you have. And our firm, former firm, Merrill Lynch, with age wage, age wave did a study that found that it takes people who retire an average, and average is key, three and a half years to figure out what they want to do with their time. So when you don't know how much time you have left, that sometimes is a more valuable currency than the money you have in the bank. So you can get there a little faster 
uh, and sometimes a lot faster on your path. And that's valuable. Number two, a good retirement coach can help you explore these new things because it's kind of daunting at first. Well, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? They can help you get you in the path through a structured process to get these experiments. I use a process called Design Your Life. You can read the book and do it yourself by two Stanford professors, but uh, they ended up training a bunch of coaches, including people like me. And it's a good process. We'll talk about that if it's relevant. And then the last thing is, it's valuable to go through something that you haven't done with a thinking partner, someone who can help guide you. So for example, in my case, the running coach uh, helped make just a couple of tweaks, but they were important and they got me to, to achieve my goal. My goal was not to break my hip, but uh, I did, did accomplish what I wanted to. The red flags. Number one is you have to make sure you hire a coach that has training. A lot of retirement coaches do not have training. They're not well-trained as coaches. Uh, so there are some people in the industry who figured out there's more money to be made in training retirement coaches than doing retirement coaching. So a lot of people are just hanging up a shingle. So ask them about their training. And the question I always recommend to people in the assess is ask them what their process is based on. If they, if it doesn't sound right to you or it doesn't sound deep or solid, uh, that's a red flag. Number two, really look at, uh, what their experience has been. Are they bringing just training? You don't want that either. But what's their experience been? Can they provide you references of satisfied clients? If they hesitate on that, that's a red flag. If they give it easily, no one's going to give you anything but the best clients. So, but but you can. It's a moment of truth. You can you can really get a get a read on on that. And then the third one is to really look hard at. Does this person fit with you? Meaning, are they going to help you stretch? If you think about your life and your career, nothing great ever comes from our comfort zone. It's having someone who's going to help stretch you. When I was trained as a coach, they taught us you have to be able to challenge your clients and support your clients. So look for someone who can do both. You don't want just a cheerleader, but you also don't want just a drill sergeant either. Can someone help stretch you a little bit? To Very get you interesting. To you yeah, you mentioned I'd love to hear more about the process. Um, and I think that ties to if we can go a little deeper into that, like you mentioned before. Uh, and, and But it sounds like a good coach really focuses on helps you help someone focus on the financials also helps somebody focus on, you know, kind of what is it, what they want to do. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the process a little deeper and what some of those pillars might be in terms of what a good coach is going to guide their, their customer through. Sure. And you asked earlier too about customizing. I think that's important. A good coach should have multiple tools. If a coach only has one tool, beware. I have several tools. I have an assessment that I'm trained in, which is tied to 14 non-financial factors linked to a satisfying retirement. So we start there. Gives you gives you kind of a baseline of where you're at relative to where you want to be. And then the process that I use that for many of my clients is called Designing Your Life, developed by two Stanford professors, Bill Burnett, Dave Evans. They've taught a course at it in Stanford for 15 years. In 2016, they decided they wanted to broaden the impact, publish a book, Design Your Life, number one. I was a New York Times bestseller. And then they wanted to broaden the impact further, so they started training some coaches. So I went through the training uh, with them in particular. And just a side note, the core of the process is designing three alternative visions of you in the next five years. And it's visual. It takes the principles of design thinking and applies them to planning the rest of your life, or at least the next, next phase of it. And when I did it, uh, I actually created this one-page document. They inc you include a, a drawing as well. And smack in the middle of it, 
was this picture of a book. And I found this when I was packing up my office from COVID, March 17th, 2020. And I uh, said, what do I need to take home for the next few weeks? I found this document where there's the book and the book's being published on August 9th. So it came really out of that process. So it's a three-phase process. Phase one is taking stock of your priorities. What's most important to you now? Really looking at that. What are the things that give you energy? What are the things that attract energy? Things you don't want in the future. The middle part is idea generation. You have a mind mapping technique we use, which is really looking at, and that's designed to get you out of the rational, linear thinking we usually use to plan things. This adds in more of the creative side. And then mapping out three alternative visions of you. There, there are multiple versions of what you and I can do over the next five years. Step back, map them, plot them out, take a look at them. And then phase three is prototyping. How do you test them? Think about a new piece of software. That's both Evans and Burnett, early Apple employees. You wouldn't just launch it. You would go out and test it and prototype it. Same thing here. You're going to have conversations with people about your ideas. What's it really like? And sometimes people decide, I thought that was one thing. I'm going to go in a different direction. So it's very valuable. But it takes six sessions to get people through the uh, base part of the process. And then some people will retain me also while they implement the plan as well. But it's, it's a very interactive, great process. I always tell people you can do it yourself. It's a great book. But when I was trained by them, they put me on their website. And within three months, I was coaching three Stanford MBAs who said, look, I bought the book. I've, two of them flew out to uh, Palo Alto to do a, a, a three-day webinar with the, with the uh, workshop with the authors, and they were terrific. And they said, but I never did anything until I worked with you as a coach because you held me accountable. And that's another thing about a coach is gonna is going to help provide the structure and make sure you no, that's great. Down. And I love the focus. It sounds like there's a heavy focus on the non-financial, right? So most of this coaching, uh, and maybe that's, that's all, where, yeah, right. you know, like you all. said, yeah, you said all. earlier in the podcast, you know, step one, almost, and uh, maybe in, 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 you know, in table stakes, right? In poker language, right? Like table stakes, you know, the, the minimum bet is you do have to have some level of financial preparedness in order to embark on this journey. Uh, but it sounds like the coaching is really focused on the non-financials. It's really around the the personalization and the timing and the well-being and all those different pieces and not so much the financial. Is that the case? Yes. I only work on the non-financial side. And that's because you really want to have a professional who can help you on, on the financial side. Uh, for example, you want someone who knows what they're doing, meaning uh, if my car breaks down, my best friend might be a plumber, but he's really not going to be the one I'm going to call to, to <laughs> when I'm standing stranded on the highway. So you need a financial professional on that side, I would recommend. And then what what I do is work on the other side to balance it out, to make sure that you're you're going in with, again, the, your holistic approach to your retirement, looking at both sides. So I'm, I'm an expert on the second side. You no, that's great. We always put a disclaimer side. in front of the podcast, but I'm, I'm always amazed because when people think of retirement, the one thing that most people feverishly focus on is the money. Do I have the money to retire? Do I have the money to retire? And I think people should, it sounds like people really need to start focusing a little bit like when they get to a point where they, they're covered, if that's the right word in terms of, okay, I think I got enough money to retire, but now I really have to dive deep into what that looks like. And I think that's what what you help with. And and one of the questions I have is, you know, what are some of those customizable strategies to make your passions a reality? Right? So you know you got the money all set, now you're ready to go. How do you make those passions a reality and use your retirement freedom wisely? 
Sure. So you really first do a look back. Uh, what are things that I wish I did or love to do that I might want to bring back and then look forward? What are those, let's say, next five years really going to look like? Well, how am I going to spend my time and test drive it? Meaning sometimes and we all have a lot of experience working from home, being at home all the time during COVID. But use some of your vacation time to see what would retirement life feel like? What would it be like if you really weren't on the classic vacation, but you really just were you know, doing a staycation where you had no work responsibilities and you really were retiring, retired and you have that freedom? How would you how would you do it? And it makes it more real and give you a sense of what things you'd like to do and what, what not and what some of the obstacles might be. Uh, but I think really start with what what the best case scenario would be. How would you invest that time and then test it? Uh, how would it really feel like? So, for example, someone might say, well, I'll play golf every day. Well, play golf every day. How's that, does, that, does that really do it? It's funny. Most of my clients I talk with and I ask them, so what do you miss about work? And they all say a version of the same thing. I miss the people, most of them, not all. And I actually miss challenge. I miss having something that I'm really trying to achieve. And so you want to bring that into, into the mix as well. Uh, it's too long a period of time for it to be a vacation. That's one of the common traps is people equate it with a vacation. The first part of it's like that, but there are multiple phases to it. And make sure you're preparing for the multiple phases. Yeah, that's phases. interesting. I think it ties into, you know, my next question, which is, you know, what are those types of other types of pitfalls that can derail your retirement? Uh, and it sounds like you said, if, if you're not testing this stuff and you're not really thinking about it, that's one thing that could derail it. But how does one also plan for kind of those emotional and intellectual and social hurdles? Because like you said earlier, Okay, you retire, even if you're moving to that second career, there's got to be some level of emotion and, and, and things that come into play when you cut the cord on the first career and go into retirement or cut the cord on the first career, go to the second one in terms of career. Yes. And, and when you leave work on that last day to head off into retirement, there's sometimes something waiting for you. And those emotional issues you put off while you're immersed in work, they come with you. They're, 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 they're at home. So, you know, thinking through those, getting professional help, that's needed, but really, you know, giving some thought to that. And the other, I think, thing you can do to prefer a pitfall I see is sometimes people making assumptions. Uh, there, are, there are sayings like, can't teach old dogs new tricks. Well, nothing against dogs. We have three of them here, uh, but you can. Uh, don't assume that, you know, you're too old to do something new. Uh, you keep growing. Or don't don't assume that something is um, not age appropriate. I have one, one of my podcast guests, Barbara O'Neill, who uh, wrote a great book uh, on, on retirement as well. Uh, she has this concept of called a social clock, meaning people have expectations of what you should do at 55, 60, 65, 70. You have to reject that, come up with what you want to do at those ages, not what other oh, people That's think. awesome. Yeah, and this, is, this has been such a great show. I have one last question for you before I let you go, and we, we like to ask this of our guests. What, what is one of the biggest financial mistakes you think you've made and what's the single piece of advice you've received when it comes to financials? So on the financial side, just one thing I, I would highlight, uh, I did one thing right, which was diversify company stock. So I, I, anytime, anytime our, our top people would sell, I would sell. Uh, and cause they must know more than I do. Uh, but what I, I mistake I made was I, I kept the options. And so, because uh, I really wanted to, wanted to balance it with that. So I kept the options and, and got hit really hard when, when the financial crisis hit. In terms of advice, this great piece of advice someone gave me, and that was to, to always, always look forward. There's always a new version of you that can emerge, 
but keep three things in mind. And it's, it's, it wasn't an original quote that he had. He said it was, I think it was an author, Rita Mae Brown. Uh, and it was, you'll always be happy at every phase of your life. If you have someone to love something to do and things to look forward to. And I think that's a good recipe to be thinking about this next phase of, of life. Oh, that's Make great. Sure and and I think, you know, we'd like to go into a little bit of a summary recap. And for me, I, I think you, you really have sincerely changed my view on retirement, right? Sometimes those happen with these light bulb moments um, uh, on the show. And, and I said, Hmm, wow, that's interesting. Right. So I think you've kind of formulated that in my mind that, Finally, retirement doesn't have to be kind of that light switch, all or nothing, right? The lights on, the lights off. It could be kind of this in between, whether it's, I would call it a retirement dimmer. I don't know what I'll call it, but like in my mind, I kind of see it as it doesn't have to be either or, right? You don't have to sit there in the dark. You don't have to light, have the light on all the time. It, you can have that level of retirement that works for you. Um, this concept of serious leisure, I love that concept. And um, selling stock when the big wigs sell the stock. I, that, that's brilliant. <laughs> I can't believe that people don't uh, uh, do that more often. And, and I encourage our listeners um, to listen back to this episode and do your research. So, so Joe mentioned a lot of different things here um, in terms of references to, to studies and to, to readings and authors and such. So as always, do your own research um, and such, and, and please, uh, you know, reach out to Joe as well. So, Joe, I'll give you the last word in terms of any final takeaways for today, and and give us, you know, where can people find you, and and how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So they can find me at uh, website retirementwisdom.com, and you can see all the episodes of our podcast there. I listen to your podcast; it's a great one. And in terms of last words. Just remember, these years, these future years can be the best of your life. You can design the, the phase that's right for you, that has the right combination of things. And it, 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 as Paul mentioned, it's not all or nothing. It can be a mix, can include work or not. But you can really uh, keep doing new things to keep you fresh, challenged. Very cool. And, well, and thank you. And I'll have to listen to your podcast as well. I'm, gonna, I'm going uh, on vacation soon, and I'll have to kind of think through that. And I have to – that yours is going to be one I'm going to – download and start those downloads. So thank you for that. Um, we have a favor. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So we, we, we appreciate it. Uh, what I, as you do too, I, I just love talking to new people every week. Uh, last week we had a, a retired New York Jets uh, uh, special teams coach, uh, Mike Westhoff, who survived cancer. Uh, he had 10 surgeries. And so the podcast is kind of about football because I love sports, but it really is about his life experience and resilience. Uh, we had a cooking, a chef who retired uh, the week before, and we have a lot of authors and, and some research people as well. But it's a mix of people. And like you, I just love talking to different people you can learn from. It makes, makes me smarter. That's so cool. I don't know where to start. I'm going to ask you another question. So where do I start? What's the episode that you consider to be your, your flagship? The one that – and this is hard because you don't want to slight others, but you can make it a top three. Uh, but what would you recommend – for someone who's who's starting to listen to your podcast, yes. where would they start? Which one is your crown jewel or three or whatever you want to? I'll, I'll mention I'll mention three real quickly. The first one I would recommend is one called "A Tapa's Life" by uh, with a guy Andrew, Andy Robin. He wrote a book of the same name. It's a simple concept, which is those small me uh, plates meals in Spain. Uh, rather than one big dinner, work his work life. He said, why don't I just create these different plates, like six things? 
uh, and that's what he has. He built a retirement life of six things he does, and he tried one at a time. And if it didn't work, he said, no big deal. I move on to the next. So I think that's a really good one, really good concept. Number two is Dave Evans, one of the co-authors, had him on Design Your Life. Uh, that's on there too. And then third one is uh, Andrew Scott, who's a UK uh, professor at the Lund School of Economics, I believe. Uh, and it's called A New Long Life. He's co-authored two books like that, The Hundred Year Life and New Long Life. Uh, those three, because he brings up the concept that life's changing. And we used to have a three-phase life. You went to school, you went to work, and then you retired. Now they're blending in. So that this, these the different phases, that you're going to work, you're going to maybe take some time off, do something different, and maybe work comes back into the mix. So those three, uh, Andy, Andy Robin, uh, Dave Evans, and uh, also Andrew Scott. Those are three I'd, I'd highlight. And we have tons of, by the way, we have tons of female authors uh, and, and guests. Uh, there's one on the emotional side of retirement. That, that, great. I'm going to give it a listen. Week. Thank you very much for that. And and I'll, list, I'll I'll pick those titles up when I listen back to this podcast. I do my little proofing before I post. So uh, we'll make sure we uh, I'll do some listening and jot some of those down. So um, thank you for that. Um, we have a favor to ask our listeners. Uh, please go to YouTube and search for Financial Dads. And please subscribe to our channel. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, well, Joe, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Um, thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul reminding you managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.